to The One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Pamela Slim is an award-winning author, business coach, and speaker. She spent the first 10 years of her business as a consultant to large companies such as Hewlett Packard, Charles Schwab, and Cisco Systems, where she worked with thousands of executives, managers, and employees. In 2016, she co-founded the Main Street Learning Lab with her husband, Daryl, where she works with business owners to remove obstacles to small business success and test and try new business ideas. In 2005, Pam started the Escape from Cubicle Nation blog, which is now one of the top career and business blogs on the web. Through her blog, Pam has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs start successful businesses. Her first book, Escape from the Cubicle Nation, From Corporate Prisoner to Thriving Entrepreneur, was released in the spring of 2009 and won Best Small Business Entrepreneur Book of 2009 by 800 CEO Reed. Pam's book, Body of Work, gives a fresh perspective on the skills required in the new world of work for people in all work modes, from corporate to nonprofit to small business. Pam's latest book, The Widest Net, delivers a method for building an engaged and mutually beneficial network. The Widest Net won Best Business Book of 2021 in the category of Sales and Marketing by Porchlight Books. Pam is frequently quoted as expert in publications such as Business Week, The New York Times, Money Magazine, and Psychology Today. Pamela Polka Dot Slim. <laughs> Hi, Pamela. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. That reference was to the beautiful polka dots that she's wearing, and I just wanted to call it out. So, um, Pamela, uh, I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. You do some really, really interesting work. And I'd love to know, though, what's the one away moment that you want to share with us today? What? came to mind right before we jumped on this call is actually something on the personal side. Now, let me think. I'm 55, so it was probably maybe, I don't know, 20, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that. But I had been in a very toxic relationship, as one does in their 20s, (laughs) sometimes through the learning journey, Hmm. and um, had gotten to a place where it was really just becoming untenable. And I had never visited a therapist before. And my mom through little subtle hints, you know, was like saying, maybe that would be a good idea. And so I was living in San Francisco at the time. And I drove to Marin County, which is where I grew up in, in California. And I went to see a therapist and it was one of these like really deep conversations. And she looked at me at a certain point and she said, you know, I'm really not supposed to say this, especially like at a first therapy session, but you're talking as if you're a hostage and you need to get out right away. And something happened in that moment where all of a sudden I started to see this vision of a particular spot in a lake that I used to go to as a little girl. It's called Phoenix Lake. And I don't know if 
your listeners have ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Third Kind. It's an old movie. Great, great see, but about like visits from extraterrestrials. And there's a character who keeps seeing this vision of a mountain in his head. Like he just becomes obsessed by it and he keeps seeing it and seeing it and building it out of dirt and mashed potatoes and all these things. I got that vision of this one place at Phoenix Lake after that conversation. So I got in my car, I drove to Phoenix Lake that was about 30 minutes away and I started walking around the lake like I used to do as a little girl. And it was surreal because it was as if I could just hear the heartbeat of the earth. There was something that was happening where I just felt like there was movement underway that was way beyond a normal experience. And I kept walking around the lake and just being called to this vision that I saw this particular spot that I hadn't visited in a really long time. And I came around a corner and I looked when I saw this one spot, which is right where a river was feeding into the lake. And everything just broke down internally. I just started sobbing. It was just this huge, you know, release and breakdown from many years of being in a, in a toxic relationship. And so I went there, I sat by the water, you know, cried it out. And then something I've never experienced before in my life, it's as if I could physically feel like there were hands at my back. It was like, pushing me. And I was like, okay, this is the time in which I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk back to my car and I'm going to leave right now. And so that's what I did. I walked to my car, drove back home, packed everything in garbage bags, X'd out of there. And it's one of these spiritual epiphany moments that I will never forget. It reinforced for me the drive of freedom, of just how precious of value that freedom is to me and how who knows what was at play to make sure that I remain free. And I'm very thankful, very, very thankful for whatever that was and my agency in listening to it and in leaving a toxic situation. That was unbelievable, incredible. And just, I mean, I got chills multiple times as you were talking, uh, more offline, but uh, wow. So thank you for sharing that so vulnerably and also for sharing that experience. Mm. Uh, so formative. Can we, can I, unpack, can I unpack that a little? Bring bit? it. Yeah. All right. Oof. Okay. So you, you were at your therapist uh, for the first visit. She said something to you about being a hostage. Hmm. It's just opened you up and to have this spiritual moment to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. What I would love to know mm-hmm. is what did feeling like a hostage feel like? What, 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 what was toxic mm-hmm. where you got to the close sounds like the end of the road where you didn't know which way to turn. Yeah. It, it was in this particular relationship, a lot of emotional abuse, frankly, a lot of really outbursts, a lot of really vicious words, a lot of controlling and manipulation in terms of preying on my greatest vulnerabilities, I think that I had and, Mm. and, uh, exploiting them in, in a way that would make me feel scared and trapped. And also at the time I was without just sort of for personal reasons, right? Not describing everything super specifically, but was super involved in 
an organization at the time where I had huge connection and love with the work that I was doing that was also related, right? The other, the, the person, the relationship was also mm-hmm. related to that. So some of the hostage situation was like, how in the world could I ever leave this, which I've invested so much time and energy and leave the people who I do love, yeah. even though I know that this particular relationship is one that is literally destroying my you know, soul, sense of worth, well-being, health, all of it. Yeah. It's like stripping that whole sense of um, home that maybe other people have provided relationally, organizationally to, to go create that maybe sense of independence or reclaim the personal power as they, they may, one may say. Okay. So you were in this toxic relationship. You mm-hmm. knew it was toxic. Hmm. knew you were being exploited emotionally. Yep. Um, by the way, if this is too much, you can tell me to stop. But I mean, let's go back to maybe childhood. Like you showed up in the relationship probably because of certain patterns passed down or ways you grew up where it got to a breaking point where you had to just take such a courageous move, which by the way, incredibly brave. Hmm. What do you think maybe contributed to how you even showed up in the relationship in the first place uh, or, or patterns that you, you look back on and say, wow, I would have never done that if I had known that. And sounds mm. like a lot of deep work. Yeah, it's a good question. I've thought about it a lot because for anybody, really male or female, I tend to to run across or folks that might identify as non-binary. I, I find that more women I talk to can be in this situation necessarily than, than men, but I've talked to a lot of folks who have. I didn't have any classic markers necessarily of like, you know, I had a very loving relationship with my parents. I had a fantastic relationship with my dad who was a very, you know, deep ally advocate was super supportive of me my whole life. My parents split when I was about five and that was definitely something that was traumatic for any kid, right. To have your parents split up, especially it was a, uh, it was a, highly visible thing because my dad was mayor of our town at the time when it happened. So it was just a, one of those things that was really, really hard on my mom and, and challenging for my dad too, but he really had to, had to break out of it, you know, for his own, his own reasons. And, you know, through time, both parents have said they ended up in, in good places. (laughs) Um, So that could be it of, of some wounding, you know, loss, need for male approval, some of the classic things you might see in a case where there is a strong loving relationship. You know, in this case I I had um, with my dad where some of that was, you know, fragmented. So maybe there's a little bit there. There's another part of it, frankly, that is just mysterious because I always have been a very self-directed person. I was always very confident. I was really adventurous early on. I was an exchange student in high school, you know, traveling, huge risk taker, very much a liberated woman, feminist, grew up with, with having really strong, you know, feelings around that. And part of what's interesting in analyzing, I think, a situation for anybody who's ever been in it. And I've run across it on the personal side, but also in an organizational side, is discerning between are there certain conditions that can predispose somebody to make poor decisions about getting in a relationship that potentially is toxic, which we all take accountability, right, for different, getting into a personal relationship, getting into 
an organization where maybe part of your instinct is telling you that maybe this is not the right fit, or maybe I need to like ask more questions. There's another side to it, which is narcissists are fucking manipulative as hell and can take people who might have an instinct toward kindness, caring, and maybe a need to be loved and valued, which I think all of us have, and manipulated in a way that I had never before had an understanding of. I had never met somebody, of course, who is a complex person, not 100% terrible. Nobody is, right? Person had their own set of trauma, which I totally deeply understand. But there was a dimension to that, which is, I don't know if I ever could have seen it coming because there is another side that's, that has lots of charisma, you know, lots of connection, lots of ways in which there are positive things in the relationship. Yeah. So it's a good question, you know, but. Well, yeah. totally. I mean, so I guess two things. One, I think we all have these experiences that create a script for us growing up. So we enter into things maybe a little unconsciously. We get in a little deep, deeply in them, and the, you're like, "Wow, this is a shit show!" And what do I do now? But like, mm-hmm. until you kind of maybe understand the past, it's hard to. It's like you're carrying weight that you don't really realize you're carrying. That's reasons. <clears throat> and then two, I'm also like, I've been noticing a lot. The more I talk to younger people, uh, who are not younger, the more I talk to people who whose parents divorced when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, this, it seems to be, it's like, if I could go do a PhD and take two years away from my work, like I would like probably study this, but it's like this lack of like worth in a way Like you may have functional confidence, but it's like this lack of worth in a way from like the divorce and then entering into relationships, almost feeling a little powerless. Um, and it's just fascinating to me, right? Where if you grow up in a, a stronger, let's just say a more stable home environment, hmm. your worth and development is a little more, I think, strongly rooted or based on healthy relationships because you, you you know what that looks like. So it's interesting. Again, I'm not trying to tell you, I'm not, I'm, I'm not certified in anything, but I definitely love hearing and understanding stories. Um, and what you shared is, is so powerful, uh, but also, and I think powerful in the fact that how, can I ask how old were you? You see you were in your twenties when, when this toxic relationship mm-hmm. ended? Yeah, I think, oh, maybe my early, early 30s. So yeah, it's probably maybe 31 or 32, something like that. Yeah. Like what, you know, I think some people you said, and was it, and was this your kind of first spiritual awakening per se? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was the second. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. You can ask about the first if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can we? If we yeah. have too many, that's fine. But yeah, I mean, it it was interesting because I I think I've only the ones that come to mind are probably just just these two, may, maybe three in my life. But the first one was when I was in high school, and I uh, had in in pretty early on, in like my early teens, got into smoking weed and then doing a little bit harder drugs, mainly just coke and weed, because in the place where I lived, there were people. It was very abundant. Um, a lot of wealthy people, even though we we weren't particularly in my household, but the access to drugs was really available. So I, that was just part of like how I was in my teens. I think of it now having teenagers and I can't believe it, but I'd get high in the morning, you know, at lunch, after school, every single day. And, um, so 
I, it was a junior in high school and I had actually been up all night the night before. And it just, I could just feel like things were getting a little bit more out of hand. Mm -hmm. And I was, I walked to the restroom from English class and I was walking back down the hallway and I saw this vision of two paths and I felt it really strongly. Like Mm -hmm. there is a path that I can choose to take right now, which means leaving here and really not having harm come to me. And there is a path where I could just see, I could just feel, I didn't necessarily see images of destruction, but I could feel like there was something really bad that was going to happen. And in that instant, on the way from the restroom back to the classroom, I made the decision to stop doing drugs. I never have done any since. And this is after doing every day for multiple years. The next week I went to a meeting of exchange students because my brother had been an exchange student for a summer through a program. I went to a meeting at my high school, actually met the student who was in Switzerland, which is where I ended up going, made the decision there very vehemently that I was going to go because I knew I needed to get out of that environment. And I ended up spending my senior year as an exchange student, which completely changed the entire my entire life's course just opened me up to all kinds of new things and was a really seminal moment. So yeah, wow. that was another time. Well, it seems like that internal voice really beats hard at your door and you, you seem to listen to it. So yes, good. I love it. That's, that's so powerful. Well, thank you for sharing. Okay. I want to go back to your, your second spiritual moment, but I thought we should get the first one out of the bag too. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Do you have any idea what we're going to talk about any of this this morning? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Which is part of the fun of it. I like, I like spontaneous uh, shares. It's, it's fun. It's fun to go back because it has informed. Both of those have informed a lot of I think where I am in my life now. Yeah, no doubt. Super cool. So you, you had this moment. You went to Phoenix Lake, had a great session, and just cried it out mm-hmm. in the best way. And you went and you packed your bags up. Um. I assume you were living with your partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So take us there. Uh, what, what happened next? You went home, you, you packed everything up. Where'd you go? What was the reaction on the other side? What, mm. what did you do? What, what, what was next for you? Yeah, he had was gone. He was actually out of the country at the time, which was part of where I just felt like I had this, I had this opportunity. And so I called my mom and she ended up coming and helping me pack. So we were just putting everything in garbage bags. As I said, there was this real feeling, even though I knew that he was thousands of miles away, the, there was just a whole energy that felt very scary. So I remember just feeling really terrified as I was packing up, but just knowing that I needed to get everything out of there. We packed up stuff in my mom's um, Volkswagen bus and then drove down the road. As soon as I left, I felt this immediate relief. There was like something just kind of fell from this felt like a spell or something of, of control. And we went to one of my good friends, Marianne's house first. I stopped for some tea. I think I stayed with her for a couple of nights uh, before I ended up then um, going and spending a little bit of time with my moms before I found other um, another housing situation. But it was a feeling of instant relief. And I just do really remember 
where I had been living for so long with this like nagging dread in the back of my head. And anybody who's listening has ever had the experience, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, you're always waiting for another shoe to drop. You're always waiting for some explosion, something to happen that's going to set you on edge where you have to make things okay. So, uh, just not having that and realizing that I, you know, had made that decision. I felt a lot of my strength and fortitude come back. What's interesting about it is that there were many ways in which I operated in my life, even being in that relationship where I had that strength and clarity and fortitude. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about people who can be in situations. Part of navigating, it was almost like other parts of my life. When I was in them, I felt more fully present in myself except for the situation where, where it was so toxic. So leaving that just felt like really coming home to myself. And, um, then, yeah, it was a whole process of, you know, he was obviously very upset and I had space for a while. And then there was some of the, you know, stuff that happens in breakups of the phone calls, repeating phone calls. And, you know, I set some really clear boundaries and it, it ended up, um, not having anything terrible happening. And there were some repercussions in terms of the organization that I was working with, but it all worked itself out and and it was okay. And it was just a gigantic relief for me, just a whole new chapter after that experience is when I, I joke with my husband about it now, because I, something switched inside me where never, ever, ever, ever was I going to be in a situation where a man was going to exert any kind of control. And one time my husband was just joking early on when we were dating and he said, I'm like, what's wrong with you? He's a very gentle, kind person, literally just joking. And I sat him down for like 30 minutes and I'm like, nothing is broken. I don't need to be fixed. If you think I need to be fixed, I'm out of here. I was like super clear. It was just like this sword coming out, not in a way to attack him, but to set totally and complete clear boundaries. I don't give a shit how much power that you're trying to wield, but I will not take it anymore. And that's been a good warrior sense that has served me well. I always like to approach life with love and compassion, but I also have a really clear edge of justice mm. and I, it has helped me to speak truth to power, which is a lot of the work that I do today and really dismantling some oppressive systems that sometimes hold the same type of energy as I was feeling in my personal relationships. Wow. Good for you for maybe starting to feel that feeling of trapping per se, and kind of setting a a hard boundary to say, Hey, this is my experience and what I've learned. And for us to have a healthy existing coexisting relationship, this is what I need, um, which I didn't say it in such a nice way, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it it was, it was important. (laughs) Maybe you weren't as healed or processed in it, but you, you knew what you needed to say nonetheless. It's very, very cool. Um, well, I mean, a transformation, right? I think what I think I've learned as well is there's so many people who just go through life and they never address some of these things. They never Mm. take the hard path of reconciliation with themselves and, uh, the healing journey, right? That seems like you you prioritize that and say younger age the most to maybe set yourself up for what sounds like, you know, I don't want to imply, but a healthy relationship with kids and creating a maybe a beautiful family that you never saw for your own self growing up. So uh, lots of sounds like a lot to be proud about. 
It's true. I had a beautiful family growing up. So just, just to be really clear in terms sure, sure, of sure. divorced families, it's, more, more I, I've had, yeah, it, it, there, it is a point of view and I know everybody has a different experience. I think it does make a difference, um, where there's a healthy relationship at home sometimes for, for kids to have the experience of parents mm-hmm. together. However, there have been plenty of folks who have had, you know, situations where they've suffered emotional damage from being in parents that are together. And there are plenty of kids who have had come from a a home where there's been divorce who have not made the same kind of choices that I made. So I know, you know, it's not a binary in terms of one or the other, but I, it's really important to me because I looking at the journey that my parents made and, Mm -hmm. and for people in my life that have made the choice to divorce, there are clear, difficult consequences and there are ways of navigating that, that can still be very strengthening. And I, I think, I know my parents really did a great job in not tearing each other down, maintaining strong relationships with us. So I had a very good, strong family life, even though it had some really hard parts and it was maybe not conventional. Totally. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate you giving green clarity. Wasn't trying to suggest it was one way, but thank you. So I want to maybe transition a little bit to who you are today and some of the work you're even doing and, and how maybe these formative moments and experiences really shaped that path um, and how you show up with work and what you actually do today. And <laughs> I guess my question to you is, this happened to you in your early 30s. You mentioned you're in your early 50s. Mid 50s, yeah, 55. I would say, I would say, you know, mid, early to mid 40s. Um, <laughs> Why, thank you. I'm proud of all my years, though. <laughs> yeah, proud of all your years. So if you were to describe yourself today at, hmm. I think you're, you know, whatever age, mid 50s, versus who you were in the early 30s, what do you think the biggest difference is? Uh, well, There are components of how I was then that I feel like have carried through the way, as I've described earlier, that I've always known myself of being very adventurous and tolerating huge amounts of risk, loving people, loving my work. The difference, I think, is really having a lot of agency, of personal agency, of not tolerating relationships and not perpetuating relationships that have an unhealthy dynamic in terms of poor batteries or manipulation. I feel like in work I do every day as a coach, I am extremely clear client about the nature of the role that I play and how it's really my job to help support their own growth development, make them better, stronger, more capable. And I do not like to approach the work from the position of I am here to make you better or I'm Mm. going to direct what you're doing because that goes back to this feeling of I know how much I did not like trusting my own sense. I'd love to have a partner where I do have a wonderful partner. Now my husband, Daryl, is an amazing person, an amazing spouse, amazing dad. Um, there's lots of trust and partnership where I never feel like there's a power over. He's not telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling him what to do. So that's, that's a component I think that is different. And just with age comes caring less about what people think and probably leaning more into the kind of transformational work that to me is really important. And a lot of it is just helping to dismantle 
systems in business that have been really ineffective, that are more manipulative or oppressive. I call it empire culture um, in, um, in my work now, where yeah. there's this feeling of crushing, dominating. And now you can understand, <laughs> given my personal history, why I do not like domination. I don't like to perpetuate models of domination. Mm-hmm. And I like to call out where there's inequity and support folks who are working toward healthier, more just and equitable spaces. I think it's powerful to understand how you want to help and support other people. Sounds like you're not here to control somebody, how you don't want to be controlled. You don't want to control other people's growth and development and let them show up how they are and and show them Hmm. the path perhaps that they want to follow along and maybe suggest and let them define it for themselves. Let's go into that a little bit. So tell tell the audience a little bit more about, or tell me in the audience, a little bit more about the work you do, the coaching, what, what you're doing. I love how you talked about dismantling empire culture, but hmm. what, what does, where has this trajectory of all these personal experiences, you have the personal agency, where is that taking you now? It sounds like you're making a big impact on people's lives. Yeah, so I do my main things that I do are I'm a business coach. So I work with people who are generally building something that is significant in creating something that that specifically is doing something to create a better, more equitable, just world. So it can range in things like I have a data scientist client who is building a whole model about how to reduce bias and data equity. And so in, I love my backgrounds in training and development. So I love conceptualizing models, helping to build a model of, you know, how to do something, which is what I did with her and then help her build a community around that. Or I have a, you know, doctor client who is, has this amazing approach to how it is that people can understand their brain and really, you know, manage their lives more effectively. So with those kind of folks, my jam is really helping them to understand and scale. So like, are there things they're doing where they want to grow more? They want to have more impact. They want to have more income. And that's really the work that I do with individuals. I'm also the, a writer. So I've, I've written three books. Uh, over, I've been self-employed for 25 years. The first 10 as a management consultant, the last 15 in the capacity of doing startup work. So I did lots of early stage startup for my first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation. Then I wrote Body of Work in 2014. That's more this heart of what are you creating? What's this impact of work that you love to create? That's part of what work I love to do. And then the latest book, The Widest Net, which is about building a specific audience and community around that work, looking at it from the perspective of ecosystems and interdependencies as opposed to empires that my husband and I are co-founders of the space for anybody. If you have video that you're showing, um, which is the Main Street Learning Lab, which is right here in downtown Mesa. And we do all kinds of things of really hosting events that are led by, especially BIPOC entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of really on the ground ecosystem building here, which has been a super fun part of my work Mm -hmm. for the last five years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you can, I mean, I guess two things, right? You're getting to work with people very intimately. That sounds like in a way that they're, they're pursuing their most daring passions. Uh, How do you go build this? How do you go do this? How do do I, how do I take those and write to it and, and share around it? And then a more communal level, right? I love what you said. You know, you're you're creating the the foundational pieces, ingredients for a community to really come together and nest and and be one. And just by putting in that in that effect of all the relationships that come out of that, the the fortuitous, serendipitous moments to help others, right? It's a really rewarding place to be. 
And um, I, I just, everything you're saying, you just, you speak from a place of, I think a lot of congruence or alignment, right. And from a in place of mm. inside out and it takes a lot of work to get there. Um, my question to you is where in your work, you know, whether it's ecosystem building or working with diverse entrepreneurs doing, mm. building very incredible products that align with your mission, where do you find yourself coming the most alive? It's, it's actually all of it. I, I don't, the only, the only things that might drag me down a little bit in my work are usually, I call the last 2% because <laughs> I'm a huge quick start. I love being in the moment coaching. I generally tend to, at this stage, really have a clear idea about where I can be the best coach and the best fit with a client. So I tend to just totally enjoy the work that I'm doing with them when I'm in the moment of coaching. The last 2% can be things like following up with a couple little details that I have to send, or right now I'm leaving on vacation tomorrow with a family. So I'm like, oh man, I have to write all these like titles and blurbs for talks. Those things can just be a bit of a bummer. It's part of what I have to do. So it's okay. I totally can own that, but that's probably the only part where I might feel my energy dip a little bit. And I just need to get right with myself when I'm doing it to just realize it's all part of that habit and practice of, you know, discipline of, of running a business. But, um, in general, like it's equally as enjoyable for me to have the front door open and have a random person walk in, have a deep conversation with them about, you know, what they're trying to do, welcome them to the neighborhood that is for me to be working in the details of some proposal where a client is excited to be like licensing their materials to a big company for the first time. You know, it's like that. It's just all of that kind of work is super, super enjoyable to me. Yeah. Well, I love what you said. And it's so funny how, right. The, sometimes the, that 2% weight, that 2% can sometimes feel like the 20% weight, right. Cause it's just, it's all the little things and it's just doesn't bring out the best, but uh, I, I still get what you're saying. And it's neat, right. It's a neat, most people can't say that only 2% of their work is, uh, you know, will hold some back. So, uh, or not holds them back, but just, how the things they don't want to do. So, so cool. What inspired, you know, you've written three books and I'd love to know what inspired each book and yeah, let's start there. The way I describe my own author journey is I'm really a author practitioner. I, I started my blog escape from cubicle nation in 2005. So that was a specific purpose. I had taken a class about building an online presence in 2004 by Suzanne Falter and writing a blog was, it would creating a blog name and creating a blog was an assignment for that, which thank God I'm so thankful. Like way back when, when it was the early stage days of content marketing and all of that, that I kind of got in early. And so I started by writing my blog when I was transitioning out of being a management consultant I'd love that work, but I met my husband. We, I moved to Arizona and we knew we wanted to start a family and I didn't want to be on the road all the time. So that I've always loved writing, but I never would have imagined that I would be an author writing books. It was at first a vehicle for sharing ideas to connect with potential clients. So because I had made the decision to specifically work with people leaving corporate to start a business, hence Escape from Cubicle Nation. So that journey was one of real discovery and it was just a 
magical mystery tour of connecting with so many people when I realized what the online world was like. It was just a magic filled with possibilities. That time in the internet and really deep in Web 2.0 was actually super exciting, very collaborative. And I feel like that's really where I found my writing voice. And I ended up getting my book deal because my editor from Penguin Portfolio had actually listened to my podcast at the time first and then had read my blog. So it's like the writing drew in a book deal, but the writing was based on daily conversations that I was having with my clients. What were the issues they were concerned about? What were patterns that I noticed? And so that has been a journey that I've had for books is I write what... I know that my my clients are asking for, and usually it's first through sharing ideas, having conversations, creating maybe coaching tools, writing about it on my blog, and then when I feel that call to codify it and put it together, mm. it ends up taking the shape of books. Yeah. So that that's when you know one and and one just leads to the other. There's that there's kind of a trilogy that I didn't notice before when I was writing my latest book. But when you think about it, where Escape from Cubicle Nation is helping people to just leave the construct of corporate so they can be on their own in a financial, financially viable way, just getting out, which is a huge transition for people. Mm, yeah. Once they're self-employed, the next questions that start to emerge is really, what am I creating? How can I actually create something that's meaningful? And that's mm. the whole main purpose of Body of Work was what I call the love letter to creation and really helping people deeply understand who they are, what do they want to contribute mm-hmm. to the world. And also mitigating a little bit of the entrepreneurship is the only way to be cool, creative, and free. Cause I think that's bullshit and people can create meaning in many different work modes, working in an organization, working in a, you know, in a government university. So it's more about being conscious about what you create. And then always when people hone in and they're like, yes, I got it. This is my vision. This is what I want to build. The next question is, where's my audience? And how do I actually build it in a way that feels authentic, that's not empire culture, that's not being a smarmy marketing person? And that's really where the widest net came. Wow. uh, It all builds, like you said, and one thing led to the next. But it's so cool that you started out in Web 2 so early building relationships on the interwebs, you know, following that. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said. It's like, I go do the work and it kind of formulates and comes together. And I realize it's time to write the book. Um, Whereas you're not like, Oh, I just, you're not like the person's like, I just need to go write the book on this to become an author. It's like, no, let me take my internal experience, codify it and put it out there in the world. That's usable, equitable, and 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 I can use on my own the story. You know, it seems like all your personal experience has driven a lot of the narratives, right, for what you've put out there because it's your truth and you can own it. It is, and there are different viable paths, as you know well, right, in the work that you do for reasons why people write and how they write. I do make a really big distinction between being an author practitioner, so it's like. I have a good friend, Nancy Duarte, who has a firm Duarte in Silicon Valley. She's done a lot of work around communication, slide design, like everything about where she lives as she's living and breathing that because she has a large agency where people are producing content all the time and she's talking with clients. Then there's friends like Dan Pink or Susan Cain, who I actually worked with for a long time, whose last book was Quiet. She has a new book coming out called Bittersweet. And for them, they can be 
really interested in a particular topic. Dan's latest book about regret, The Power of Regret, just came out. And for him, he's a journalist. So he will do copious amounts of research in order to explore interesting dimensions of a topic. And I think Susan also, Susan's more of a, yeah, really thoughtful person where she'll notice a pattern happening and she has this beautiful dichotomy between research, but also poetry just in the way that she approaches it. So I think there's space for different kinds of writers. You know, I, it's where I can never understand when I'm talking to people, they might have their first book, it comes out, you know, you have to market it and they're like, oh, I can't wait to be done with this so I can get on to the next book. And for me, I'm always like, what? Like a book is the beginning because I write it so that I can then apply it and see how it works in the world. And, and, but because I'm an author practitioner, because that's why I write books is to have frameworks that are helpful because this is work I'm doing every day. Yeah. So it's just different, a little different approach. Yeah, and, and there's no right way. Um, but I was leaning into saying, you take a lot of that lived experience and how do I make it applicable for others, which is super rewarding. Not to say that uh, Dan Pinker and Adam Grant type, right? Incredible authors, incredible authors. Yeah. Just maybe a different way of doing that type of work. So anyhow, I'm just, I was trying to celebrate how you're bringing in your personal experience to help others. Yeah. It, because it's, it, it is, uh, what I don't enjoy in within the world of books and the world of uh, a lot of folks working around the world of books is, is the idea that if you want to be an expert, you just have to write a book or you just have to come up with mm. some catchy idea that will sell to a publisher or will sell to people without having any grounding in either research or really live practical experience of working with people. And so that's, you know, I, but I, I, I'm always conscious about who's listening and there are so many different ways in which you can come to the same end of bringing your, your work out into the world, you know, and just thinking about, for me, I know that's the way I operate. I couldn't imagine researching a topic without actually having lived experience with it. It wouldn't be fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, by the way, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I didn't know where we were going to start. I didn't know where it was going to go and how we kind of bring it Me all together. Either, which is part of the fun, right? So <laughs> well, let me ask you one more question and well, you can share where all the people need to go find you again. You're, I love that you're, you do, I think it's, a lot of things from the heart. So I'm not asking you to say, tell me your life perfectly in 10 years, but let's just say five to 10 years out. What are some of the dreams of yours that you want to manifest? I think, I mean, thinking a lot about it because it it is a really cool time, I think from like 55 to 70, where there's mm. tons of focus and agency and energy. My kids are getting a little bit older but it's still really fun to hang out with them. So in part of the 10 years on more the life family side, it's just doing a lot more travel. We're actually, we're taking off tomorrow for a a European jaunt. So we're going to London, Scotland, and Paris, which will be so fun. My, my family's never been, I've, you know, I've been myself, but my kids totally love to travel. They're completely open to it. And 
knowing that there is that enthusiasm and energy and that both myself and my husband can do work, you know, from anywhere, I see a lot more adventure of maybe taking, you know, a couple months living somewhere, just traveling together more as a family as they, you know, go into college and so forth. We'll figure out if they want to travel with us. We all get along really well. So I have a feeling <laughs> that they will, if there's no other obligations, but a lot more, um, adventure travel, like meaningful connection with each other and with people in different places in the world. And of course, just being more safe to travel, you know, now that, um, the pandemic is, is finally waning a little bit on the work side, I am getting much more clear that my work is shifting even more to being in that mentor role. I, I do a lot of work in particular with black and brown women. I do a lot of, my husband is Navajo. So we have a really strong community here of native entrepreneurs and I, and um, also Latinx entrepreneurs. And I feel really clear and strong of just wanting to support the growth and development of leaders. I feel like I have one just superpower of just being able to see potential and just notice where they're amazing people. Um, and so supporting that leadership growth and development feels really important just to be able to strengthen businesses of leaders, help everything, get people more active and visible in, um, in general in the business community because there's such low visibility of the experts that actually exist. Yeah. And so just, you know, that's a core mission we have here at the Learning Lab but really doing concrete things in order to support that growth and development and network building between people who are doing that work. There probably is another book. I, the, my intuition is whispered to me that usually there's a little prize inside from one book to the next, which is without knowing it, I put one concept in one book that ends up becoming the next one. So within body of work, there was a uh, chapter on avatars, ecosystems, and watering holes that end up being part of the framework for the widest net. And in the widest net, I have a section in one of the chapters about leadership and just that different stages that you have as you're walking, navigating your body of work and how do you make decisions and how do you understand yourself? How do you navigate um, uncertainty and how do you stand for what you believe? That feels like that will be the next book, but mm. I am in no way ready <laughs> to even think about working on it. This one just came out a couple of months ago, but it, I, I can receive very strong messages from the universe. And definitely this one is saying that's, that makes a lot of sense. And those are the kinds of conversations that I'm having with my clients now who have scaled. Those are the kind of things they're navigating. So cool. Well, I am excited for your next chapter or your 55 to 70 chapter. Uh, <laughs> Me too. So cool. You're going to be exploring travel, family, and what a fun, fun way to start the morning. Um, thank you for your time. Where, Pamela, where can people find you? Um, you can find me at PamelaSlim.com. That's awesome. where all my contact info is. If you're a social media person, you can find all my handles there. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.